This week, the evidence has focused on the science surrounding Sean Benton's death. Well, what little there is available. The coroner has heard from the pathologists and ballistics experts, and one day, an SA-80 rifle was even brought into court to show the mechanics of how one might shoot oneself with it. I'm Kyle Ark, and along with Barry Keevans, we're here to bring you the latest from Woking Coroner's Court. This is Deep Cut, The Inquest. Well, Barry joins me now. Now, Barry, this week, for the most part, uh, or certainly the beginning part of the week, centred around the science, didn't it? Just run us through some of the key points that we've learnt this week from the uh, scientific evidence. Well, we had quite a lot of science and scientists this week. We had two days of it, mostly, and the beginning part was ballistics and pathology experts. And, I mean, really, I suppose the upshot of all that is that they don't know and it's inconclusive because the work that was done at the time was insufficient and not as comprehensive as it should have been, let's say. I mean, essentially nothing was um, preserved from the scene, was it? They weren't good scenes of crime photographs taken, no ballistic testing done, no swabbing of Sean's hands to see if residue... There was no photographs taken at this... Uh, well, no, no adequate photographs taken at the scene, no measurements... No, no preservation, no swabs. They didn't retain the round, the cartridges, is that right? No, no measurements yeah. were taken as to where the weapon was, where the cartridges were. No preservation of the scene at all. No preservation of any of the physical evidence either. So. And Sean's jacket was, was washed as well, wasn't it, before it was sent away for testing? Yeah, Sean's jacket was made it with him to the mortuary, but it was removed and then washed before any testing was done of it. And Which seems like uh, a strange thing to do. but And it sat in a cupboard for seven years. That's caused quite an issue, hasn't it, for the scientists involved now in terms of they're being asked by the coroner and, and by the family to make conclusions on what they can sort of best guess, in, in a sense, from the evidence that they can see what actually happened and who might have fired those shots and how Sean died. I think it's also fair to say that... that the disappointment and I would say anger at the inadequacy of the original investigation was fairly plain to see in court as well. You know, Paul Greeny was clearly quite annoyed and unfortunately from where we sit we can't see um, we're sitting behind uh, people facing the, the judge the so we can't really see reactions from people but I mean, I know a lot of this isn't going to be news to anybody who's in court, but it's still certainly it still still made people angry. You know, the fact that yeah. that so little care was taken at the time. So yeah, there's no measurements from the scene, no proper forensic photographs taken at the scene, none of the physical evidence was retained, and the rifle wasn't tested, was it either? No. So they couldn't match the cartridges that were spent to any weapon at all, mm-hmm. and you know the difficulties of. Uh, trying to reconstruct a scene when you've got very little to go on are yeah. fairly evident as well. So the the important things from the scene are things like mapping exactly where the spent cartridges were found because that can give you an indication of where they were ejected from, so where the, where the weapon was. And things like swabbing people's hands for what we would call GSR, gunshot residue, that wasn't done and... You know, the lack of, of proper photographs and preservation of the scene. There was no cordon or anything, you know, people were... And that 
inadequate investigation also went on to the post-mortem as well, didn't it? Now, we've heard from um, from Dr Carey about the pathology, uh, which is also inconclusive, to say the least. I mean, there was an admission, wasn't there, that the original post-mortem hadn't been carried out fully, hadn't been adequate enough, and that there weren't uh, photographs taken of the post-mortem either, which would be standard practice today. Well, experts and doctors being what they are, they don't like to criticise each other too much, but the way a suspicious death is dealt with now and then is that uh, somebody called a home office pathologist would be called in and there's a register of home office pathologists and and these guys are considered to be more expert and they are called in on suspicious deaths or they're supposed to be and then the post-mortem examination the autopsy is carried out to a higher standard then so there's there's more information gathered uh, during that process but in Sean's case it was left to the local hospital pathologist to do the autopsy so again nobody really wanted to criticise him too much although they did but he wasn't qualified or or even asked to carry out a more forensic autopsy so it wasn't done so consequently there are no photographs and the level of dissection wasn't as detailed as it would have been by a home office pathologist and some of the other things that would have helped to identify you know shed light on on what happened weren't done either mm-hmm. so so it's very very difficult for them isn't it 23 years later to be trying to come up with conclusions as to where that science points the passage of time doesn't really make any difference in this case in this scenario if you've got the, yeah. the if you've got the original work if the if the work was done at the time then we wouldn't be then here it would be documented properly and they would be looking at that the reason they got a second inquest is because it was ruled that the, the first inquiry was insufficient so it's not a surprise to hear that these things weren't done. I mean, we knew that anyway, but the reason there was a second inquest is because the original investigation was deemed insufficient. Now, Dr Fahey also gave evidence. He was quite strong in some of his opinions, it's fair to say. Yeah, he's. I think he's a, I think he's a forensic psychologist uh, or forensic psychiatrist. I'd have to go, and back and go back in my notes and check that. But yeah, he was very strong on, on what he had to say and when it came down to it, his opinion was more or less that it didn't matter what happened Sean was going to kill himself anyway so and did he explain why he thought that was that based on the fact that he had self-harmed in the past no the self-harming was a symptom of what he thought was clearly personality disorder which we've heard a bit about before that, that he might have had that Sean may have had an emerging personality disorder but Dr Fahey was fairly or I think Professor Fahey was fairly confident that in his diagnosis that, that Sean did have a, a personality disorder so he couldn't cope with life in the army and he couldn't cope with the, the thought of going back to civilian life and his method for, for resolving that was, was to take his own life. OK, so that's the kind of key science bits then, really. Where does that leave us in terms of the theories that you think the coroner is going to have to consider here? Well, I think the first main theory that a lot of people were expecting to hear was that Sean had somehow been bullied to death and that his suicide was a direct result of his treatment at the hands of the people that he was living with at the camp. One of the main experts who was asked by the coroner to look into it has come back and said that that's probably not the case. And in fairly strong terms, really. In very strong terms, yeah. He said that he more or less said that Sean would have done it anyway. And I think that's probably going to be quite hard for a lot of people to hear, bearing in mind all the evidence from people who were trainees at the time that we've heard so far 
you know, there's been a seemingly endless stream of people who were coming into the courtroom and walking and telling us how terrible it was there in the in the mid nineties and yeah, I think hearing that Sean had not just an emerging personality disorder but a, a fairly full blown personality disorder and that that was the main reason why he took his own life was is uh, is going to be hard for people to hear. In terms of other theories, what are the other options? Well, one of the main things that an inquest has to to um, ascertain is the mechanism of of the death. So we've been looking in the last couple of weeks at how it could have been done and some of well a lot of the the ballistic experts and the and the, the scientific evidence that we've had is is going to that as well so the the number of rounds the locations of the entry and exit wounds and the locations of the spent cartridges the manner in which the rounds were fired so the main theory now is the five wounds were inflicted in two different distinct events. So the first one would have been either two or three wounds and the second time around would have been either two or three wounds depending on the first. And the problem the problem we have is that the because the, the post mortem wasn't a forensic post mortem that you would expect in a, in a suspicious death. We can't, well, the science can't tell in what order the, round, in, the wounds In which, in which order and how far in yeah. between they took place, yeah. There were a number of rifles present, essentially, as well, weren't there, at the time that Sean died. Not only the rifle that he was holding, but the rifle that Martin Holder says that he brought down from the guard room. Obviously, there were other guards, trainees on guard duty at the time as well. They had rifles. So in terms of the number of times that any of those rifles that were present were fired, what have we learned about that? None of the physical evidence was retained or tested, so we don't know. And... We know that Martin Holder's rifle had nine rounds in it when it should have had ten, but we know more, no more than that. We know that there were a number of spent cartridges found at the scene, and we know that that doesn't match with the number of wounds that Sean had, but we know that it does correlate with the number of missing rounds from his weapon. And none of the rifles were checked to see whether any rounds had been chambered at all. I mean, there was just no tests and presumably they were eventually dusted off and, and put back in the guard room and, and used again for, for future guard duties. Yeah, we learned all about chambering rounds and the witness marks that you get from that from um, Cheryl's inquest and uh, so we know that it's a significant thing and, and does leave a mark on the on the cartridge if you chamber the round. So. But yeah, but again... None of the physical evidence was retained or tested, so we don't know. Now, essentially, that's uh, that's sort of where we are, really, with uh, with regard to, to Sean Benton's inquest for the moment. The coroner will now take a break of, of almost a month before we are back in court. But in the meantime, um, one of the other deep cut cases will be in court, that of, of Private Jeff Gray, who also died at deep cut around the same time, won't it? There's a hearing this week uh, regarding his inquest. Yeah, it's the first um, pre-inquest review, which is the, the kind of formal start of the whole inquest process, and that is on Friday afternoon. And I'll be there with uh, with Jeff's mum, Diane, who's who's been a regular in walking as well. And, yeah, I mean, that's the... That's the start of the long process for them. The interesting thing is that it's going to be with the same judge. But with a different legal team representing the Grey family. And it is interesting, just her absolute 
dedication, Diane's absolute dedication to finding out what happened at Deepco, isn't it? I mean, you, you sort of touched on it briefly there, but just in terms of uh, she was in court for almost every day of the Cheryl James inquest. She has been there almost every day of, of Sean Benton's inquest as well, whilst also preparing for you know, going home at night and having to prepare, read through documents about what happened to her own son and, and to help prepare her own legal team for the start of the inquest process for him. Yeah, she's an impressive woman and we're all very taken with her as well. I think. Well, that's it from us for a month. The coroner will sit again on the 1st of May and we will be back at the end of that week to bring you the final witness evidence. If you want to catch up on previous evidence, well, the podcasts are available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Deep Cut, The Inquest.